and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that he said, a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. All right, good morning, family. Boy, it's beautiful today. We are, we have turned the corner. We're over halfway through our study of the book of Hebrews on Sunday morning. And as we're charting our way through Hebrews, what we're trying to do is each and every week see the truth that comes out that Jesus Christ is greater than anything we have ever turned to in our life. You know, we're all seeking for joy. We're seeking for peace. I'll get it. <laughs> Just kidding. It's all right. <laughs> that happens all the time. <laughs> I always have. I always forget to even check my own. I'll never forget when I. I don't even bring my cell phone with me anymore because it, sometimes it buzzes while I'm preaching. I'm like, who in my life doesn't know at this time what I do? You know, like who, who right now is calling? But anyway, it's funny. But anyway, so we all in our life are seeking joy. We're seeking peace. We're seeking security. We all want to know, uh, have some sort of identity. We know who we are. And ultimately what we're seeking is some semblance of love and in search of those things we turn to different places and different people that offer those to us and the argument of this entire book of hebrews is that jesus is a greater and better answer to anything else that you might turn to to find these deepest needs that you're longing for in life today jesus we're going to see that uh, jesus introduces us to what he's calling a greater covenant, a greater covenant. Now, this text kind of sets us up a little bit different. Like typically we preach, where we make some points and we logically walk through the text to make sense of it. Today, this text demands that we just ask some basic questions. And so our sermon is going to flow as we seek to ask these very logical, basic questions that come up around the idea that Jesus is offering us a greater covenant covenant so we're going to ask some questions in a row so let's start with the first question i believe it's probably really important for us to set the stage to make sense of jesus being a greater giving us a greater covenant the first question is this what actually is a covenant what's a covenant the word covenant is just a way of describing a particular type of relationship and it's very, very important for us right now to be learning what a covenant is because covenant-type relationships are really dwindling in our culture, in our environment, in our context in which we live. We have different kinds of relationships. We have contractual relationships. That's where we make an agreement to exchange goods and services for usually money. So I can make a contractual agreement with you that if I'll give you $20 every time you mow my grass. That's a contract. You uphold the mowing of the grass, I'll uphold the giving of the $20. That's a fair and good business type of relationship. We have a lot of consumer-based relationships. And a consumer-based relationship is really where your needs are the center of that relationship. And the moment that your needs are not being met, that relationship is over. So, for example, you might go to a particular 
grocery store. And you go to that grocery store because maybe you know the owner of the store and you've gone there for years and it's on your way home from work and um, it has all the products that you like. And eventually you end up finding out maybe the prices get a little bit too high or um, traffic is a little bit busy in that area or they stop offering certain products you like. And what happens when those things start happening? You go where? Somewhere else. That's a consumer type relationship, which is my needs are at the center of this relationship. And the moment my needs are not being met, I'm out. Now, there are times when contractual relationships are needed. There are even times when consumer type relationships are okay. But what's happening is a lot of our most important relationships, our relationship with our friends, our neighbors, our relationship with our church, our relationship with our spouse is becoming a little bit contractual and oftentimes very consumeristic. The moment my needs are not being met, I'm out. Is that how you view your relationship? And how about our relationship with God? The moment he lets me down on what I want because I have my needs, I'm out. You see, covenant is different. What makes a covenant unique? Here's what makes the concept of covenant different. A covenant is way more intimate and personal than a contract. It involves the will of people. It's the giving of self to another. So it's more intimate and it's more personal than just a contract. But also, a covenant is more durable and more safe than a consumeristic relationship that is built upon affections, feelings, and just needs. A covenant is a legal binding based upon the will of two individuals, and it is not contingent upon circumstances or even feelings. You might say it this way. A covenant is a stunning combination of law and love. So let's ask this next question. Why are covenants important? Why do they matter? Well, for our purposes today, there's a lot of reasons, but for our purposes today, covenant is important because covenant is the exclusive way God relates to his people. You look all the way back from the beginnings and start with Adam. God made a covenant. He had both law and love, both expectation and blessing. And he moved to the uh, Abraham where there was both law and love expectation and blessing Moses had law tablets and love tabernacle sacrifice forgiveness presence of God and we come into Jesus which facilitates for us a new covenant where there's both law and love now here what here's why this is extra important for your relationship with God because when you think about God and viewing him usually we kind of get one angle or the other God becomes pretty flat for us he's either um a God who is a God of law. And that means that our covenant with God is conditional completely. It is based upon my perfect obedience, which basically means when I obey, I get blessed. And when I don't obey, I don't get blessed or I'm under what the Old Testament called a curse. That's God is law. And another way people view God is just in one dimensional is that God is just love. So the covenant with God is unconditional. Uh, he desires my obedience but it's not required, he's going to bless me regardless. And on one side, you have extreme legalism, which the whole thing rests upon me. 
And on the other side, you have extreme relativism, where it just doesn't matter what we do. And usually we fall into one of those two camps. We kind of default as God is either law, that he's just this big being in the sky that declares rules. And if you break those rules, he will smite you. And that's all who God is. Or you see God one dimensionally as God is love and relative and nothing's really taken serious. And uh, he doesn't really have expectations for us. He just wants to lavish upon us what he's his riches. So which one is it? Is God law or is God love? I guess the answer might be yes, right? He's both. So then that third question comes, why do we need a new one? We have from Adam to Abraham to Moses. Specifically here, the Hebrew writer is talking about the law of Moses, which was a covenant that had expectations. started with the Ten Commandments. I want you to obey these ten things. Be this kind of person. And it had love. It had connection with God. But from the very beginning, God set it up in a way that he recognized that humans were not going to be able to keep his basic law perfectly. And so immediately God set up the tablet, here's the stone, the Ten Commandments, but also the tabernacle where there would be sacrifices and offering because he knew that we would not be able to keep this covenant perfectly. And so he set up a system where we could be forgiven of those sins year after year. But why would we need a new one? You see, the old covenant had, like I said, both law and it had love, the tablet and the tabernacle. But what was the problem? If it had law and love, had all the things in it that we needed, what was really the problem with the old law? Look in verse 8 and then the end of verse 9. It says in verse 8, he finds, finds fault with them. There was something wrong with them the people God made a covenant with. That's what made this old covenant fault have fault. Look in verse 9, the end of verse 9. For they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them. They were not faithful. You see, the fault was not with the covenant itself, but with the people God made it with. That old covenant had law, God's expectation. It had love, God providing forgiveness so that we could stay connected to him but it lacked the ability to fix what was wrong with us we were unfaithful perfect human obedience is required for god's blessing his presence his protection his provision god has here are my expectations and perfect human obedience keeps us in that place where we relate with god perfectly and sin when we exalt ourselves to the center of our lives to find life without God, removes us from the position of being blessed. You see, the old covenant expected perfection, and rightly so. But it could not actually make us perfect. It didn't help us be perfect. The old covenant can inform us on what is perfect and what blessings are available but the old covenant didn't have the power to get us to perfection and experiencing the blessing. As Paul would later say, all fall short of the glory of God and all fall short of this idea of perfect obedience. So a new one is needed. So the next question is this. Why is our new covenant with Jesus better? Did God get rid of law to make it easier? Did he just eliminate love and just make it about law? 
but what makes it better? The answer is really simple. He says in verse 6 that this new covenant is enacted upon one phrase, better promises. It promises something better. You see, if you look in this old, uh, in the new law, he says in verse 10, there is law in this new covenant. There is law. In verse 10, he says, he will write his law on their minds and he will write it on their hearts. That's where he's going to put their law. What God is creating in this new covenant is a type of people that have an inner desire now to obey God because we love him. God is cultivating in this new covenant in Jesus Christ a group of people that have his laws on their mind and on their hearts that have a longing to obey him, that see the glory of who he is and want to be part of him. So there's law, but there's also love. Look in verse 12. He says, I'll be merciful to their iniquities, and I'll remember their sins no more. There's forgiveness and forgetting. A level of love unlike we as humans have ever known. You've never experienced this kind of love where there's forgiveness, mercy, but also complete forgetfulness. This, in this new covenant, these two things become one. Where you and I have a new heart, law and love, become one. Where we have a new heart that longs to actually obey the law of God. Where we love Him and love His law. We enjoy Him and we enjoy His love continually. But how does that happen? How are we going to have His law written on our hearts and on our minds and have this forgetfulness of our sin? Well, you see in this statement here, in this quote, this quote is from Jeremiah 31. Between the law, verse 10, and between the love, verse 12, there's a statement that God makes in verse 10, the end of verse 10. He says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, God makes this statement over and over when he makes covenant with people all throughout the Bible. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, what God is saying is, I'm going to be theirs, and they will be mine. This is different than just, I'll give them instruction, law, or I'll just forget about their mistakes, which we might consider to be love. This is different than that. God is saying something so powerful. What he's saying is, I am giving myself to you. I will be theirs, and they will be mine. Now, we all probably in here have some understanding of what it means to give ourselves to God, submitting to his will, being willing to follow his way. You know, us as humans um, giving ourselves to God, we can kind of make sense of it. But what does it mean that God gives himself to us when he says, I will be yours? What does that mean? Well, in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus was there in the upper room at the Last Supper, right before his death, he took the cup that we just took of. And he gave it to, the, to those that were around the table. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. You see, those guys sitting around the, around the table knew of this prophecy from Jeremiah 31. They knew God had spoken about a promise of a new covenant that had greater blessings coming from it. But they didn't understand where it was going to come. And Jesus said, this cup represents my blood that's going to bring the new covenant powerful for them greater blessing was coming in jesus and 
Paul explains how in Galatians chapter 3 when he said Jesus became the curse for us. You see, when you disobey the covenant under the old law, you became, as what the Bible says, under a curse. Under the curse, meaning deserving to be punished. But yet Jesus lived a life that was worthy, actually worthy of full blessing from God. He perfectly kept the old covenant. He lived the Ten Commandments perfectly. He obeyed the laws perfectly. And so in his life, he was the only person that lived in a way that deserved God to bless him for his performance in life. He deserved that blessing. And when he came to the end of his life, deserving to be blessed, he willingly took the curse. So you and I could be blessed. You see, the new covenant under Jesus Christ is not better because it requires less of you. That's not what makes the new covenant better. This new covenant under Jesus is not saying, man, that Old Testament was really hard. I'm glad that's not required of us anymore. Woo, that's just get rid of that. That stuff was hard. God has just made it so much easier for us. And this is simple. The new covenant is not better because it requires less. It still requires perfect human obedience for blessing. But Jesus provided perfect human obedience. And here's the deal. In this new covenant, when you trust Jesus, when you see what he's done, what he's been for us, and you trust him, which means that by faith, you believe in who he is and what he did, you confess both your sin and his greatness, you repent, which means to turn from the things that you used to run to, to him for your life, and you say, I want to be his, I want him to be mine and him to be, and me to be his, and you're baptized into Jesus Christ, your life becomes in him as the bible says so frequently and god then sees you as a person who has kept the covenant perfect you see it was on the cross where we see this amazing picture of law and love colliding or combining we see law coming in in uh, the cross where god upheld his holiness upheld his justice by punishing sin but we also see love coming in the cross where Jesus was willing to do that. And when you and I see that great act of love, and we believe that act of love, and we choose to trust it, law and love will then combine in us. Because of what he has done for us, you and I will want to then obey him. No one has loved you like Jesus. No one has served you like Jesus. And when you see on the cross someone loving you beyond anybody else in this world, you'll say, that's a person I want to obey. That's a person I want to trust. The law becomes written on your heart. And when you see the cross, you'll trust that he remembers your sin no more. Look how far he would go to eradicate you of your sin. You'll trust that. And you'll know when you see the cross that he has definitely given himself to you. And he'll invite you to give yourself to him. No one has to help you know that. And that's why he says in verse 11... No one will teach his neighbor, know the Lord, because those that come into this covenant, they will know him. People don't come into this covenant and say, hey, I want to tell you about, I know you're in the covenant, but now, now let me tell you about Jesus. That's not how it works. Under the old law, you were born biologically into a covenant, and then through your life, you had to learn who God was. This covenant, when you relate to God this way, you come to him because you know exactly who he is. So let me ask you this last question with you and for you. How do you live in this covenant? How are we going to do it? 
Verse 13 answers really simple. He says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And here's the deal. He says the old covenant is obsolete. The old way of relating to God is fading away. The old way that demanded your perfect, your obedient perfection for God's blessing is done away with. The new is now here. But you and I have to choose which covenant are we going to relate to God under because covenant is the exclusive way that God relates to people. So you're either going to relate to him under the old covenant, which is I don't have a savior and I've got to do this on my own all by myself. And here's the Ten Commandments and I must be perfect before God and I will ever be right. And there are many people, whether they know it or not, that live in relationship to God this way. Or you can live in relationship to God under the new covenant which sees a perfect Savior obedient to the law and yet out of love giving himself for you and that when you see Jesus, his law doesn't become duty, it becomes delight. And you want to follow him and serve him. See, those that see Jesus as just an escape and want to take advantage of him, the only person you're manipulating in that story is you. You will not mock or fool God. If you see the cross as your way just to get away with whatever you want to do, you've missed the point of the cross. And the only person being lied to is you. Your options are this. You can either adore his love and what he has done for you so that you are drawn closer to him. And as you come closer to him, it will expose your sin. And you'll see that even in your own sin, he's loved you and cherished you and wanted you to come out of that sin. And the law will be written on your heart. He will be your God and you'll follow him. Or you can live a life constantly feeling, fearing all your failures. You're only trusting what you can do and knowing that it's not enough. But what the Bible's trying to tell you is that system is over. You've got to choose which covenant you're going to choose to relate to God in. Here's how to obey. It's really simple. Number one, know how Jesus made this new covenant available. Jesus did not sweep sin under the rug to make this new covenant available. It was law and love coming together in one event to save sinners. And the second thing you've got to do is decide which covenant you're going to relate to God with. The old covenant, which is you on your own, you got this. Or the new covenant, which is in Jesus Christ, which draws you to God, writes the law on your mind and on your heart, and brings you close to Him. And the choice is yours. Let's stand and sing. If you need help, you can come.